This is Coda Radio, episode 211 for June 27th, 2016. Everyone and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, like the captain in the center seat of his bridge, why yes, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello there, Mike! Uh, the Ocha, hi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Hey, you know, I realize I've never used a Star Trek reference to introduce you, so I should probably write this wrong because after this week, I won't be here for one week. So that was my last chance before one week. Yeah, if all goes as planned, Crazy Noah says that he's going to do last in Grand Forks, North Dakota Sunday, which if, you don't, if you're not familiar with Grand Forks, North Dakota, it's like in, literally in the middle of nowhere. Then he's going to fly to Seattle to be here in time to do Coda Radio Monday. I love it. In fact, you know what? He'll be able to help me set up my new Linux desktop. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That should be coming soon, huh? Should be coming Friday, but, you know, it's FedEx, so Thursday. You, you just can't pass up a good deal. You can't pass up a well, good deal. And my MacBook kernel panics like it's going at a stop. <laughs> really? I thought they don't do that. I thought that was a thing about those. I mean, we've covered it a lot on the show. Yeah. This has been happening for, yeah. for months. Um, you yeah. know, sometimes it'll be in Xcode or Android Studio. More likely WebStorm and, and IntelliJ, though. And it says, you know what? I'm going to Brexit out of these processes. <laughs> Should we? Do you want to announce the drinking game, or do you just want people yes. to figure it out? As so, we go? In, in celebration. Yeah, that's uh, one way to put it. Watching all of London and Wall Street cry, which it's alone enough reason to celebrate for me. Yeah. We're playing a drinking game today. Take a shot of. I said scotch because you know if you're in the UK, you're going to be buying it tariff free for much longer. <laughs> Jeez, there! You are going to get hate mail. People are upset about this. <laughs> as always, Alan at Jupiter Broadcasting. Yes, of course, send all feedback there. Uh, well, uh, just preferred. I don't. I don't know if you can blame this first story on the Brexit, but uh, I blame it on the Brexit. TechCrunch says you're full of it. The app boom is far from over. This is the best oh. era for apps ever. Do you know what the great thing about creative accounting is? You can make anything look right. You can make anything look good. That's Horrible business. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's very true. So TechCrunch says that there's a new wave of reporting focused on the post-app era. The app boom is over, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They say this is Boulder Dash. They say the hundred billion dollar market's a hundred billion dollar market now. And let's just start with the facts. The real numbers are amazing. We are in an unprecedented era of growth when it comes to revenue from apps. Revenue is hard to manipulate because it ties back to financial filings by Google and Apple, and it it needs to be audited. <laughs> Oh, it's, that's adorable. Uh, the, uh, so they look at this and they say, if you take app download news as an example, and you look at all the new downloads, downloads are way up. As a software service guy, he says, let me tell you, this is an amazingly insightful decision by Apple for some of the recent changes they've made with the advertising and also um, with their uh, recent uh, 15% subscription price after a year onwards. Uh, he says, with the new subscription model from Apple, some improvements from Google that are coming in. Re- uh, he says, Google's being more generous than ever, that we are now in the mecca 
It is the the newer apps like Uber, Airbnb, and Snapchat are growing fast. While there's still apps out there for room, the market is not saturated. The users are not saturated. Some established uh, players like Facebook and others aren't going anywhere, but there's still plenty of grass for us to all chew on. What do you think, Mr. Dominic? There, there's so much wrong with that analysis. No, I no, just, it's 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 absolutely correct because the numbers are audited. Okay. <laughs> so that's hilarious. So we're Enrons for a year. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh yeah, see, you got to you got to be a certain age to get that reference. You know, here's um, what you do when you're Google, uh, when oh, that's not making any money, you just put that under alphabet. Well, 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 hang on. Let's let's break down his argument. So one, the numbers <laughs> are audited. Okay, you're pretty. Great. Let's keep moving. Um Auditing means nothing. Accountants are almost always incentivized to lie for their clients. Yeah, it's true, too. <laughs> Especially when their clients are big names, by the way. They're not going to lie for the grocery store down the road, but they're definitely going to do it for Google. Or Apple. Or Apple. Even if you don't believe that, which I can assure you is true, what is uh, one figure he doesn't mention is what is the average revenue per app? Oh, yeah, right. I was going to say the number is your – I mean I, it's hard for me to guess with the, with the numbers that you're kicking around because I would – I actually think they're probably dev- devastatingly low. They are, they are single digits. I mean it, it, it's not great and it's one of those situations where people say, well, you just made a crappy app, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Let, let's, let's correct – want all of the uh, Game of Wars and Candy Crushes and yeah, uh, yeah. You know, big free-to-play games. And then what are the raw numbers after that? They're they're pathetic, right? I mean, it's, you know, to say the app boom is over, one, is hyperbole, and I understand why TechCrunch might be motivated to write a piece saying, well, that's, that's nonsense. But to say that the economy is healthy for small or medium-sized businesses is kind of a joke. I mean, your average app developer is making money on consulting. Right. Yes. For larger corporations, sure. that is what we're doing. That's that's how you make money. We are not really. I mean, in the cases where we do release our own apps, they're not the. No one's getting hired because we released an app, right? They're not a. You know, it's so rare, um, particularly in the. He mentions the subscriptions, mm-hmm. which are geared towards productivity productivity applications or enterprise too. But he, yeah, he. Enter- yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he's talking about the consumer app market, right? Not the B2B or not the IBM thing. Um, and I don't know. When you say con- when you say productivity, you could mean to-do lists or you could mean um, Salesforce. Like <laughs> how productivity is could be anything. It, it could, but e- even Salesforce, I mean, I think that's a great example. Their app is not a primary revenue generator of any kind, right? Their app is another window into a service. Great point. Which which is great, but I don't think anyone could argue that Salesforce is an app development company by any stripe, right? Yeah, I, I, it is. It is a function that they do as do. to serve their I, overall business. Sort of right. like there's a lot. There's a, you know there's a lot of that. That a lot of businesses do that with their apps. You know, when I think of app companies, I think of Panic. I think of uh, the folks who make Sketch. I think of the uh, people who make Fantastical, who are. You know, go read the panic blog about how they've suffered in the app store economy. What about uh, what about Pocket Jelly? I, I you know they make a Pocket Cast, I think, right? Isn't that their name? Pocket Jelly is that their name? Pocket Jelly, yeah, yeah. Shifty and Je- oh, Shifty Jelly, jelly yeah. Sorry, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't I don't really hear much about them, but they seem to plug away and and keep making great software. 
wonder I you know I wonder how their revenue breaks down because they're on iOS and Android too. But I, I yeah. think even even I think the reality is the low-hanging fruit has been plucked. That's It's not necessarily the boom is over, but the traditional boom of there's a huge hole in the market, you can make an app and own that, that's pretty much over for the most part. And where the real app boom now is what you're talking about. Right, more of an enterprise uh, corp-to-corp. Is that really a bad thing, though? Maybe it's not as easy, right? That's definitely true. Well, it's a different... I mean, I just had a conversation similar to this about 45 minutes ago. It's just a different business model. Right? Is it better or worse? I mean, I don't know. Certainly, it's probably more sexy to talk about consumer-facing applications. You know, to say, "Hey, I just released this," or you know, do the whole kind of indie thing. But the dollar amounts sloshing around aren't that great, right? I mean, it, let's think of an app that did really well. Um, you know, Overcast certainly didn't make millions, right? By anybody's imagination. Yeah. Uh, I would be, you know, the, the Tweetbot family of apps. I can't imagine that they're making millions. And unfortunately, to be a real, you know, one app sustainable business, that's got to be a million dollar app. Unless, unless you define a business as one guy, you work from home and you develop your app. And that is another road, right? But I, I would say that that's a different kind of thing. Um, e- but even then, most apps make no money. Like, the vast majority of apps make absolutely no money, certainly less than 100 USD. So the app boom is different? Well, I think, I think apps are no longer a separate thing, right? They are portals into services. Um, so if you're defining an app as a packaged piece of software that someone pays for via an app store, that boom is over. I think that was a very separate time and a very separate thing. So I would say it is over. Is this a headwind for Apple, then? Because if, if, uh, if apps become standardized and I can get essentially, which is true, I have essentially all of my apps on Android that I have on iOS or equivalents for the most part, not absolutely everything, but it's so damn close, then all of a sudden the platform advantage for the apps kind of goes away. They don't necessarily have an advantage with cost. Uh, Hawaii and uh, right. LG uh, and the OnePlus 3 and there's some... There are some lower cost Android phones that are getting really well built. I wonder if that is. I wonder if, if this is going to be a series of headwinds that really starts to slow down iPhone adoption. Well, I I, I don't think so. I think it's a change in um, perspective, right? Everybody now has a smartphone, or the vast majority of people in developed markets do. So what that means is, when you're thinking about your product that you want to launch, the app is a piece of it now, right? But it is not necessarily the product itself. Especially if you're targeting that B2B segment where you're almost certainly going to need a high-powered, you know, Ionic or Angular, I'm sorry, an Angular web app, something like right, that. Right, which which makes hybrid application development even more well, attractive. I mean, this is kind of the, uh, you know, the bet I'm making that apps are now just another window into line-of-business software. Mm-hmm. And they don't need to tie into anything new, right? They need to send JSON back and forth, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. I agree, actually. Um, okay, so I think then uh, you have not been proved wrong. I, I concede you have not been proved wrong. Let's move forward, Mr. Dominic. Uh, let's talk about some secret sauce here. Let's talk about DigitalOcean. This is really how it, any scale, if you're a large company, if you're a small independent person, if you're a small business, a medium business, you can look like one of the big fish in the pond 
by using DigitalOcean. With unbelievable pricing, a great infrastructure, super good management tools, it is really easy to get set up and going. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL and get a $10 credit. You get a $10 credit. Their servers start at $5 a month. <clears throat> and people, you know, so sometimes they ask, so what would I use DigitalOcean for? Anytime you want one of the following things, a bare-bones server that is insanely fast, that has a crazy good internet connection, way better than anything you're going to get at your house or your home office. I'm saying, I'm talking like they have... They have 40 gigabit E connections coming to the hypervisors. They run KVM for, for the virtualizer. They have SSDs for all of the disk I.O. So everything is optimized for speed. You can deploy a lot of different distributions. Basically, any distribution you want to run as a server. And you can deploy the base OS, like a minimal install. Or you can do an entire application stack because they have tons of one-click applications. And the really nice thing is... Even, even those of us who've done this for like 15 years, you know, when I was standing up servers, it was so, so, so nothing like using DigitalOcean. I was literally standing them up. In fact, the first servers, the, when I started working with servers that were x86-based, well, the first servers I started working with weren't even x86-based. They were Spark-based. And then, you know, when x86 started becoming more reasonable, they were in these huge, massive towers, uh, boxes, basically, that uh, the motherboard was on one side and the uh, power supply and the disk were on another side. It was these giant, giant boxes, and we stacked them. Hand-built them. So, yeah, it's, it's changed a little bit because now, now, coming from somebody who literally was that hands-on with the building process, setting everything up, customizing everything, have installing scripts, install scripts and answer scripts for everything, Perfectly anal about how it's set up. Perfectly. Now I'm amazed when I go deploy a DigitalOcean application stack and everything's just brilliant. Everything's brilliant. It's not like they're using funky repos with software that you have to wait on DigitalOcean update. No. No, they go right to, they go right to the source. They make sure they've got the right GPG key so everything's verified. It's set up good. It's set up efficient. And it's set up perfectly to bounce from there and go use some of their great community documentation. So when you say, what could I use DigitalOcean for? Anything where you need a server-side component and you want it super fast and you want to be able to experiment and blow it away and rebuild and take snapshots. And they have data centers all over the world with a great interface to match it. So use our promo code CODERDIGITAL and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Thanks, guys. Use that promo code CODERDIGITAL. Keeps us going. Okay, so last week, as we were wrapping up, we started the topic of machine learning. And we wanted to cut it there because we realized we could, t- we could spend a whole show on this, and you had to go to a meeting, as is often the case. So yes. why don't we pick that ball back up? And I, there was this really interesting um, tweet that uh, Rikai sent me, and it's, uh, it's using machine learning to anticipate future concepts before they begin. And it, when I first read that, I was like, what? You know, trying to, trying to predict human behavior before we do it? Uh, and you'll have to forgive the uh, the the video a little bit, but I want to play it and I'll read it because it's it's not it's not voiced, but they do have a great like yeah right. So I'll, so here's what they do. It's kind of interesting. They uh, they took action prediction algorithms. They developed a new method using deep learning to anticipate human interactions in the immediate future. Given a still frame, the method predicts how people interact with one with each other one second later. It predicts a handshake. The computer learns by watching hundreds of hours of raw video. Then it's able to predict a kiss before a kiss happens. And they give you an example here. 
That's from Big Bang. They predict a handshake uh, to conclude a meeting before the handshake happens. There's the handshake. It does happen. So the computer is able to analyze these behaviors. It predicts a hug here, and these people do end up hugging. It's able to kind of... By wa- just watching, you know, data that's already out there. Now, it tries to predict a handshake here, but instead, it was an awkward white man hi- uh, high five, and so it actually predicted that wrong. It predicted a handshake. Instead, it was awkward high five. The idea, though, is taking lots and lots and lots of data and asking, you know, the machine to process it. In fact, why don't we use a little machine learning right now? Okay, Google, define machine learning. According to Wattis.com, Tech Target. Machine learning is a type of artificial intelligence that provides computers with the ability to learn without being explicitly programmed. Whoa, that's a pretty interesting... And you know what's interesting about that definition? Not the definition it gave me before we started the show. I did that. I asked that same question uh, an hour before we started the show, and that was not... I, it, see, see in, the, in the time between when you first asked and now, it learned, right? correct answer that is really interesting because the other answer it gave me here's the other answer i actually uh i did actually save it uh where is it though boy that because that one is so much better i tried to bookmark it machine learning is a subfield of computer science that evolved from the study of pattern recognition and computational learning theory and artificial intelligence in 1959 and it basically read a wikipedia uh i Hmm, that's interesting. A very interesting little experiment there. <laughs> so, uh, what do you think about machine learning, and and how does it fit in with bots and what Microsoft's talking about? And and then and, and then in a little bit, I figured we'd talk a little bit about di- differential privacy because I I grabbed that clip from the talk show where uh, Craig Federici talks about it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, to me, these are all ingredients in the same cocktail, right? Where except for differential privacy, which I think is a kind of different approach but let's 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 table that one for now um you know bots are all about an interface right the interface being right now kind of command line slacky but really in the future it's going to be verbal so computer what happened you know that kind of thing machine learning is more i hate to play buzzword bingo but using big data in quotes to you do predictive analysis more sneer quotes and figure out what exactly the machine needs to do. But it's, it's you know, the heart of it is the software continually improves itself, right? And that's why I made that crack about the Siri to learn it between now, or did Google learn it between when you first asked them and now? The reason I say that is that kind of is what's supposed to happen, right? Like, think about the, uh, I forgot, the, the AlphaGo, right? Oh, yeah. Are you, are you yeah. familiar with that? Yep. Yeah. Um, same idea, right? Even back in the day, uh, well, Deep, I mean, Deep Blue was kind of different because it just brute forced through a bunch. But that is part of this, right? Brute forcing through a bunch of data and using that kind of data analysis to, you know, improve the software. Um, and when I mean brute forcing, I mean literally the software is brute forcing through itself. The, the question, so there's a lot of questions. One, you asked about the relationship to each other. I would argue that the bot is kind of like some sort of weird CLI or agent between you, excuse me, you the user, and the machine learning slash AI slash big data service on the back end, right? Um, and again, a lot of there's a that's cocktail. There's natural language processing if you're doing verbal. Um, I have some questions about how is this stuff supposed to work between regionalities and nationalities. 
Hmm. You know. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because things don't exactly flow the same way in different languages, right? Or even in different regions of the same country, particularly the United States is a good example of that. Also, your machine learned Skype is terrible right now. I know. I know. I'm sorry about it. We are working on it. Okay. We could uh, patreon.com slash today. We, uh, we are basically probably just going to sign up for another ISP. The only issue is, is we just really we, – we, uh, we already pay a significant amount in data per month uh, just to run the network and to provide uh, the connections that we need uh, at the office and links to another office. And so it's already very expensive. So we haven't upgraded mm-hmm. it yet, but we're in progress. I just have to figure out what's okay. best because we have very limited options. Whereas, I mean – I may also, you know what I might, you know, I, you know what, I'm not even joking. Sorry to derail the conversation, but it's all the chat room's talking about, so we might as well just address it. Right. Um, <clears throat> I'm seriously considered just going, I'm, I've, it's been so problematic recently, and I think it's a core issue at Comcast down, down in their Bellevue sex area. Uh, I, I am really tempted to just go on a road trip and just do the shows from the road for a few weeks until they get it fixed. <laughs> Because it's so annoying. Uh, anyways, going back onto the topic of uh, of machine learning, the the, uh, the clip that uh, was in the talk show actually, I think, discusses it a little bit too. So uh, we could transition to that if you want to. Yeah, let me just for for some of our audience who may maybe hasn't heard the term before, because I just it just occurred to me while you were talking. A good real world example of like machine learning in action is actually Amazon's recommendations. Right, mm. they have mm. a giant database of data. And they're continuously learning the it's machine, not that right? Good though. Really, it's actually pretty good for me. Is it? Yeah, I never find it. I find it often. Yeah, okay. I find what it's better at is suggesting stuff to me that's in my wish list or something like that. Like treat yourself. I'm like, oh, See, I don't. I don't use the wish list at all. So that maybe that's why. It, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, because you could make the same argument for Netflix, and I don't think that's a particularly great one either. And I know they work a lot on that. Netflix is really one of the early pioneers right. in this area. Remember when they had a million dollar bounty to help make it better? That's true, that's true. Yeah, that was a long time ago now, wasn't it? So, <clears throat> at WWDC, uh, they, uh, they announced something called differential privacy in iOS 10 that uh, is going to help people participate in machine learning anonymously. And uh, differential privacy, it's funny. When I started looking into it, do you know who I found? <clears throat> Boy, excuse me. <clears throat> I've been, I've been uh, drinking a coffee, and I hope the audience will forgive me because I know we have some serious coffee enthusiasts out there. But I was just out on a breakfast run before the show to wake myself up a little bit, and I, I got some Starbucks, and it's got like a burn the heathen. Sorry. I know it's. I guess they bought Tivana. Oh, this guy so already did it. They bought they bought Tivana. What? No, I'm listening to you. I hear you, baby. I don't even know if we just lost him or both of us. No, I hear you, baby. It's okay. It's okay. You simmer down over there. You say, "Hey, you, you simmer down. Let Skype, for, let Skype work itself out. Let it, the, the Skype will work itself out. It'll be good." Uh, so they bought Tivana, and uh, Tivana, they say, "Our cup of tea," and it's it's not bad. It's iced coffee with uh, with vanilla bean in there. So, anyways, <clears throat> what I was saying before, boy, this show is really uh, this is going from what was going to be a great show to just totally off the rails now. <laughs> what I was saying was. Uh, when I did research on differential privacy, I, I thought it was going to be something Apple made up. Like, they just were calling it, and I was like, that's not a good name at all. Um, but it turns out Microsoft predominantly has done a ton of research on differential privacy, and they're one of the big companies behind it. I don't know, I don't know if they actually have used it in production. And one of the other things that I don't think was very clear from WWDC, but uh, Apple has made it clear that uh, differential privacy is going to be opt-in. 
And they claim you won't have to opt into it to receive the benefits, the intelligence in the OS itself that they're grokking from, from other people. So this differential privacy, they claim, is their big trick to doing mass data collection machine learning and improving their OS without having to collect all your personal data. And I don't really think I should say much more because uh, this interview right here from the talk show, which was a great talk show, uh, John Gruber did this at WWDC, and gets in if the reason why it's good is they actually have technical discussions and they answer questions and he asked good questions. Okay. Um, so you actually like they talk about the Apple file system and and he reveals how that's probably going to make uh, updates way better. He talks about that. He talks about multi-user accounts and iOS being enabled by the new Apple file. There's interesting things in there. And so they get into the topic of uh, differential privacy here and it's it's like a two minute clip and uh, I think it's really relevant. I want to. So this is uh, so asking the question for those of you that aren't familiar is John Groover. He's talking to uh, Craig Federici and uh, Phil Schiller, at the uh, on the stage at W at a WWC. I want to get I want to get nerdy on this differential privacy thing. Yeah, because it's a phrase. It's like an it's like an official thing. I, I've learned a little more. It's not just a phrase you guys made up. It's like a, a it wouldn't have been the phrase we would have made up. Right. <laughs> uh, been, yeah, we, we would have done a better name if that's what we did. <laughs> But like in the State of the Union yesterday, I mean, there's, there's real math behind it. This is not just a, a name that is applied to policies. This is like a, a branch of statistical analysis. Yes. That it, talk to me about it. Give me a little. I know you touched about it in the keynote, but give me give us like a little slightly juicier layman's overview of, of differential privacy. So Craig's going to do a really good job of explaining here, Mike. But uh, <clears throat> take a listen, and, and then let's at the other end of his explanation, let's talk about it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, of course, of course, the idea is that um, if if we wanted to know um, what word, you know, a new word that everyone was, uh, that lots of people were typing that we didn't know so that we would stop marking it as a spelling error, or maybe we'd even suggest it on the keyboard. Like men um, or something. Yeah, yeah. like now that's, it's just, it's trending, it's hot, we want, you know, we want all our customers to be able to know that word. But we don't want to know that you and Phil are, in particular, are typing it. We want to have no way to have any, any knowledge of that. You can imagine if, if what we're essentially assembling is a picture of little, little pieces of data, you know, of the forest, uh, but all we're getting is a little piece. And, and when we get that little piece, even each device will statistically, much of the time, even lie about its little piece, right? But those lies will all cancel out right. with enough data... And the picture will, will suddenly resolve, will, 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 with enough data points, right. will resolve itself. So what do you think of that? So the idea here is you opt into the system. The data is not linked to you. And even when you are submitting data, sometimes your phone lies. Is, is, this, a, is, this, is, this, is this for real or is this a pipe dream? You know, I don't compare it. To compare it to Google, they're... right? I mean, compare yeah. it to what Google gets. I mean, the, the Google thing makes a lot more sense to me because, in a way, it's a simpler system. We have and track all of your data. We are mining that data. We are doing analysis on that data. Therefore, we can, you know, make um, inferences about you. And in the case of spelling errors, figure out what things aren't spelling. I don't know. The, the, to me, the whole spelling error case is a weird example. Um, I get what Apple's trying to do. They want to give you some of that functionality that Google can offer you but somehow say that they're keeping 
your data private. One other interesting aspect of, of this is they do claim that a lot of this work is happening on your device, mm-hmm. where in the Google implementation of their AI system and machine learning system, it's all very unashamedly on Google servers. Right, but they can iterate there faster, they can expand with it, and when, as long as they have right. the data, they can always do more. From a purely, like, I'm designing a system to do a thing, the Google approach seems like it makes a lot more sense. Having said that, certainly if Apple can get, you know, as good results and not violate my privacy in such a terrible way, that might be attractive. So the Google premise is in exchange for us being able to analyze your data. So in my case, they analyze all my photos. Uh, when I use Hangouts for calls or when I use Hangouts uh, on LAS, I, I, they're recording that, and I'm assuming they analyze, they use that for voice recognition too, I would imagine. Uh, Google Voice, obviously, they, they do voice recognition there. Uh, I use OK Google constantly. I just activated it. Sorry, did not mean to activate it. Constantly. Yeah. Continuously and, over a period of time. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I'm, so I'm always using that, and I know they store all my voice samples for that. You can actually play them back in your dashboard. Um, so the idea is they're learning more because they have my data. But uh, they actually – I think they might address this in the clip, so I'll play a little more. Um, and so – and yet – and literally if we were trying to learn a word – we would send one bit. We'd send a position and a sync. We'd, we'd hash the word. We'd send a single bit from the hash. We'd say at position 23, Phil saw a one. But Phil's phone would flip a coin and actually say, actually, I'm going to lie about it. I'm going to say zero even though I saw a one. And that's the data that goes to Apple. Then Apple, with enough of that data, can build a composite, a composite picture and say, holy smokes, we got a word here. All right, so, that's people, so, now, okay, so now, yeah, so let's just stop there. So... What they're saying is, now I understand what he's saying, the lying is a feature, not a bug. Right. So it's lying to protect your, Chris Fisher's, individual upload. Yes. So they don't know what data from you is bullshit or what data from you is correct. Right. I can't imagine Google's doing that. No, of course not. No, I think Google would argue that, no, of course, no, they're reading my inbox. They're reminding me about my health, uh, my healthcare bill I have to pay in in Google Mail. so what Apple's effectively saying here, if I understand Federici, is we have added this layer of privacy protection um, by doing the actual, some of the data calculation on the device and apparently doing a 50-50 algorithm that just says, yes, we're sending you real data. No, I'm going to send you bullshit. Mm-hmm. Fine. Um, but again, the thing I'm going to care about at the end of this is which system is better, right? So which- I, I want to challenge one of our concepts in this conversation. And I think... Uh, I think I, I think I want to wait, though, because I want to finish your, your idea on this aspect of it. Because I think the core thing here is uh, big questions I have. Like, how can you really do data learning on a phone and on an iPad if you really want to analyze these things? It seems like it just seems like well, to, to, they, to evolve they, that at all, you'd have to push out a software update to every single one of your devices. And the machines that don't update to the new OS are not going to be as capable and they're not going to contribute as much to right. your machine learning, whereas if you do it all server-side, you constantly can update and iterate on that and reuse the data and learn more all the time. So you have a couple points in there. I think they've had, first of all, it's Apple. Everybody updates their stuff. Well, like, that does happen a lot, and they are it, taking some of it to the cloud, obviously. Second of all, I, I think it's interesting that he said it just takes the bit and sends the bit up. 
So I don't think they're actually. So they're obviously not actually sending the word "man," right? Using his no, example. they must be asking to learn a certain thing, and then it's sending yes, they're no. They're sending bits. it as some other data format, straight up. So what? It, what it sounds like, and and again, people are gonna who care about this a lot more than I will will read into it and find out. It sounds like they just send a rant when they lie, using his word, right? When the phone lies, it says random data. So yeah. it's not if yeah. the word is man, it doesn't think, okay, let me send woman, right? right? No, it just says rain. Or if the color is blue, it doesn't send red. It sends garbage data. Maybe so that's how they can tell the garbage data from the good data because the garbage data is so out of place. Ah, uh, Use, using his forest analogy, the right. garbage data looks yes. like a desert. Right. right, right. I mean, these are all radical oversimplifications, and all the nerdraters can send me long emails mm. saying what I. But that's fine. Yeah, I think the anime says this is perfect. It says the differential privacy adds random noise, so it raises it's, it's the noise, noise floor. Right, right. Uh, but you still can uh, see the peaks and raising out where actual trends occur in two aggregate. Two apples credit, then two apples credit. They are actually taking on the cost, um, and the just general pain in the assness of having to filter out the noise on the back end, in an effort. God knows how successful it will actually be to protect user privacy. So I want to play a little more of the clip because yep. uh, this gets into the part of the different styles of machine learning. Roughly are seeing it, and that's typically what you want to know. You want to know what's happening at large, but we have no desire to know what specifically who is doing what. It's typically what. what you would want to know. It's not typically what other companies in and, the industry would want to and, know. And, and, and part of the reason this is so important to get into is because, you know, there's the... the the theory that, well, we can just anonymize the data and send it up and then all's good. And it's a bunch of crap because I can send all this data and say, hey, I don't know who you are, oh, but I happen to know that same location you go to every night. I happen to know the same place you go to work every day. I've got all this data. I just don't know your name or your ID. Boy, it's really hard to reverse engineer than anonymous data. Right? So what you need to do is create a system that goes beyond anonymizing to really make it impossible to reconfigure who that user is. So, Not a hard crowd to play to there. So the way I have it written down here is that it, if it works as you're describing it, it means it's not just that Apple doesn't use that information to reverse the anonymity. It's that mathematically you can't. We can't. Right. It's the, dis- the design of the system is such that it's not even possible if... That's a big commitment he's making, getting them to make. Which is important if they like get a federal to, subpoena. You know, Poke around. Right. But companies right. change. I mean, that is... No, true. no, I mean, that's, that's absolutely true. And the point, the point of view, I mean, honestly, any, it, it, the point of view that someone says, uh, hey, I, I know we know a ton about you. This is the thing, actually, that after I read Into the Plex, uh, a book about Google, this was my major concern about Google right now. But... Don't worry, we're nice guys, and our bit, you know, we're, it's all good. Well, okay, maybe you're nice guys. Ten years from now, who's running this thing? Right. Or what if someone breaks into your computers? Are they nice guys? Right. Right. So you just don't want to have any central source that has that kind of knowledge, because in the fullness of time, anything is possible. Uh, and so, differential privacy is. I mean, there there are mathematical proofs that will will show that uh, that you you cannot, with any confidence, determine anything about any of the people contributing to the data set. And we think that's important. So that's a huge commitment for them to make publicly. And um, 
I think they're. I think you're right. Their incentive is is they don't want to have to provide that data to the governments either uh, for different countries. So they can go into China and they can say we right. can't do this, and they can go into the U.S. and say we can't do this, and they're they're telling the truth. So I believe them when he says that. But also, not, he's also he's a he's a VP, and he's saying that on in a public setting. So that's right. a huge commitment. Eric carries some weight for them. So you said something that's kind of a throwaway comment that you read into the Plex, and this was your problem. Can you jump into that? Oh a yeah. Bit? Uh, um, so into the Plex, they go into some detail about some really creepy stuff that uh, Google realized when it realized it was not a search company, but it was an advertising company, and they made this transition because you know they really honestly wanted to be a search company, um, and they really wanted to do some creepy stuff. And I do not actually remember the details anymore, but we really, and I actually was thinking about reading it again. What vibrantly struck out just really clear to me was the, the kibosh came from Larry or Sergey, and that's who stopped it. it and, and, sometimes, uh, and sometimes it was uh, – what's his face? Um, who's the creepy guy that now is the interface with the federal government? Eric Schmidt. Schmidt, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric Schmidt uh, was really pushing for like the aggressively creepy spying on people's stuff, and others were too. And Larry and Sergey said, no, we can't do that. That will harm our brand. That's not our direction. And they personally killed the projects. And I, I realized, I thought, I, I, when I was reading the book, I thought, well, my God, what happens when they're not there to, to stop this? Because they won't work there forever. Eventually, they die or they move on or they retire. Uh, so what happens then? Especially if someone like Eric Schmidt's still there. I, that creeps me out. Well... What happens is it's a little bit of a, a, a trust me game, right? If you trust Google, good. If you don't, then you should consider, you know. Well, companies change, though. I mean, look at Apple right. with Steve Jobs, without Steve Jobs, both in the 80s and 90s and now now. No, that, that's, that's a fair, uh, fair criticism. So let me ask you this, then. You have a choice. Are you, if you're assuming you want to use this technology... Does the differential privacy model put forth by Apple? I mean, maybe. Here's what. Here's the other thing they said in the talk show, which is linked in the show notes if you guys want to hear the whole interview. Here's the other thing that Gruber asked him. He said, okay, so let's talk about photos. And Gruber basically says, how are you guys going to do photos as good as Google when Google's sucking up everybody's data and looking at everybody's photos? And I thought Craig's answer was really obvious, and I don't know why it's never crossed my mind. He says, well, it turns out when you need to teach the computer about mountains, you don't have to spy on everybody's data to do that. You can just go get pictures of mountains and feed it pictures of mountains. And it's something like, you know, 22,000 different objects they're going to recognize in a picture, and they, they went out and they got the data. Like, they went out and bought data sets. There are data sets out there you can buy to plug into this to train it, uh, and that's what they did. And they, he's like, you don't have to use everyone's information to train the machines. And now we'll see how good it is. But that seemed like a super, super obvious statement. So what they're doing on device is going to be like the facial recognition and the labeling and the categorizing. But, you know, on the on iCloud, they're doing the this is what a mountain looks like. This is what a baby looks like. This is what a hug looks like. They're training that using supplied data sets. Now, that seems like a super obvious, like, when I, so I was like, man, Google Photos is so great, and the only reason it must be that good, see, I'm buying into the line, the only reason it must be that good is because, well, they can analyze all the user's data and recognize stuff. It never even crossed my mind that there's probably a dozen other ways to solve that problem. So that was when I realized maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe Google is taking way more information than they need. 
I mean, they know exactly how much my uh, my healthcare well, bill is. Well, wait, wait, wait. Isn't it obvious that Google's taking more information than they need? I mean, to be fair, right? Setting up the straw man argument of oh, Google's only doing absolutely the minimum data that they need to to provide you these services was always not true, and they don't even claim that, right? Like, if you were if we were to get a Google rep on the phone, I'm sure he or she would say, "Listen, you're I mean, much more softly and eloquently than I'm about to. Listen, you are our product. We don't you're cattle." Right? We don't want to abuse you. We don't want to hurt you. But we definitely need to be able to milk you for our juicy, juicy data milk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, setting up the fallacy that Google only ever promised to take the minimum, I think, is not fair. Because, you know, six, seven years ago when you started using Gmail, that was never true. Yeah. Right? Yep. Or Docs. Or doc, I mean, docs, although I have to say, I've gotten some pretty scary advertisements thanks to Google for work. So that there, there is a creepiness factor of like, I, I almost wonder, should they not be looking at like the corporate accounts? I thought that was a thing. Um, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, I, I can't, I can't prove it, but it's like, I'll send an email to my attorney and then I'll get an advertisement for another attorney. Hmm. Which my understanding is because it's under the Google for Work umbrella, they should not be using that as a as a data money point. I tell you what, either e- e- differential privacy, on device learning, uh, buying data sets to train, uh, they have so much ground to make up for right now. Uh, apparently, my phone is randomly requesting to pair with the machine over here. That's really I think you should let it. Um, you know, I think they have so much ground to catch up on that there's no way the first few... It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like Maps. It's going to be like Maps. Okay, but Maps is pretty good now. I'm just saying. Like, it, I it is, you know what? Software. Actually, it is not bad. It is not bad. You're right. It's gotten better, and it looks like it's going to be way better in iOS 10 because they're going to let pretty much anybody lay their own data yeah. over that. Hey, uh, before we go any further, I actually got a couple of really cool piece, bits of feedback. Uh, I want to talk about Linux Academy. Could you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders for me? Support the show and learn more about Linux sure. Academy. A great platform. With a brand new website, great platform to learn more about the technology around Linux. Whether you're that. an experienced sysadmin or new to the world of Linux, Azure, and AWS, OpenStack, and DevOps, a sharp skill set is an absolute necessity to see. You know, they're going all in on Azure because uh, did you hear Microsoft's announcement that one in three servers on Azure now runs Linux? It's growing like crazy. Over there. I know, and I, I heard Balmer scream all the way from Seattle. And so they got the new website with the video. Succeed. Meet Linux Academy, yeah. an online Linux and cloud training platform that uses self-paced video courses hey. and hands-on labs to give you real-world experience hey. for a wide range of skills. That's my line. That's my line. Train for your certification, learn the latest DevOps tools, and grow your skill set to do better work. It's actually really awesome. It's got a great community because it's stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. Learning plans where you can set a time frame and it sticks to your schedule and your learning goals. Learning paths, which are a series of courses and content planned by their instructors. Yes, they have instructor mentoring available. You get certifications of completion, assignments that help you do deep dives and perform particular tasks on the server. I love the way they spin up the labs when you need them. You SSH right in. They have iOS and Android apps and more. Depending on no time, a lot of time, they've got courseware for you. It's pretty cool. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go check them out and learn more. All right, Mr. Dominic. So really quickly, just to sort of celebrate the fact that you got yourself a, uh, a new rig, I want to thank Chaotic Linux for submitting the Ruby on Rails development on Ubuntu 16.04 
guide. This is your guide to get totally set up on Ubuntu 16.04 with Ruby on Rails, which I know you'll be jumping right on. Uh, so I thought I'd link that in the show notes to kick off our conversation about the new rig. Right, do you want to tell me about it? I'm not going to be here next week. Yeah, uh, so and I, I didn't really get a chance to talk to you about it on Twitter, so I want to know what's going yeah, there on. There he goes. Oh, dude. Oh, come on. No. No, I refuse to lose you, Mr. Dominic. I will not lose you. Well, I'm just going to assume he's gone. No. No, I will not lose you. No. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I'm trying to load Twitter, too. I can't get Twitter. This is uh, this is why I'm going to go uh, podcast in an RV right here. You see, you all think I'm crazy. But that might be the savior right there. I'm going to go podcast in an RV. I'll call it Mr. Dominic from the road. I'll be driving down. Well, I won't be driving. I'll be going down the freeway, and I'll have better connectivity than I do on this Comcast business line. You you have to fix this. I know, <laughs> it's right? Terrible. I know. All I right. Know. So so the machine. Uh, so the reason for the machine is pretty simple. The MacBook Pro keeps kernel panicking. Yeah. I have one of those cooling things. I'm doing all kinds of crazy stuff to keep it alive, and it's not working. Apple failed to release a new MacBook Pro this year, so I did not get one. I instead decided to buy a workstation from my desk at my office. It is a Dell Inspiron 3650. The reason I bought that specific computer is that ours had a $200 off coupon. Really? That's great. The price ended up being $579. 16 gigs of RAM. It's a... Now, this is where I'm a little scared. It's an i7... But the graphics card is an AMD Radeon R9 360. Mm, mm, that could that could give you some issues, depending. It's, it's right. a, sorry, say again, what's the model? Uh, Radeon HD R9 360. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one, so I don't know. But uh, there is there are some models that are a little trickier to get working than others. But uh, well, is it on a card? Yeah. It's on a card, right? So worst case a- scenario, you could new egg yourself an NVIDIA one. It's a card. I've uh, I've read some stuff where it was fine on 1510 and crap on 1604. So I will make a 1510 boot device if I need one. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're going to run Ubuntu on there? Yeah, I think it's going to be Ubuntu. Um, two terabytes, 720. So I, I, I didn't go for the SSD because the deal with the coupon was you had to buy it as is. So you had to buy one of the inventory ones. That's why they gave the coupon. Otherwise, I would have done an NVIDIA card. <laughs> um. But that's it. I mean, it's a desktop. So you basically right? got a thousand dollar rig for for half off. Basically, that's the only reason I did it. Uh, that'll be a good steady uh, workhorse, I think. That's nice, man. Good for you. And uh, yeah, I, you know, Mr. Kernel Linux will be here next week to help you get it set well, up. I, I'm assuming I'm going to like go to meeting him on my iPad, and it'll be tech support. That is my expectation yeah. for Monday. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. Yeah, I would expect so. So, yeah, I saw you had some back and forth with Jed and others on the Twitter. Did yep. everybody say you did okay? And on the red, on the subreddit, what did people think? Uh, price is good. A lot of concern about that AMD card, though. Yeah. Yeah, that would be my concern, too. But I don't think that's going to be the end of the world. I don't think that's going to be... That's not going to... I don't think that's going to really... I don't even think that's going to be much of a hitch. So, there is a proprietary uh, beta driver for 16.04 from AMD. I did find that online. It looked... I'm not sure... See, this is where I'm, you know... I haven't had to fiddle with a Linux machine that didn't work since the Dell XPS, which I just gave up on, right? Yeah. So, I don't know... I don't know how bad bad is, right? Because in the nine ten days, if something didn't work, it simply didn't work. <laughs> so 
So is and this this is not a laptop, so my expectation is that I shouldn't have to worry. Like I'm not going to worry about hibernation, right? I'm not worried. I I'm not doing a dual monitor setup with it. Hmm. So I think it should. Um, I guess to be really blunt, my expectation is it should more or less work out of the box. You know, uh, as somebody who um, has still continues to use the hell out of Ubuntu on the server, deployed it for clients. I mean, I, I made a mad dash to Ubuntu server LTS when it started coming out from CentOS. It was right. great. Converted lots of machines. Ran Ubuntu for years. Was a massive, massive fan of it. Uh, I have I I have never been less excited about somebody switching to Linux than when they say they're switching to Ubuntu. Because it, yeah, it, this, it really uh, feels like, and I know it's just for work, I know it's a good choice, and I know there's lots of good reasons to run it. But I, 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 I want you, when you go into it, I want you to know that there is a better experience out there. There is a more modern Linux out there that is, you know, packages are handled easier, driver issues are handled easier, re- swapping things in and out is handled easier, running more better alternative desktops is much easier, doesn't trash your system. Uh, lots of little things, like, you know, that, you know, for the example, like the whole, just to be honest with you, the whole idea of releases is exhausting. Like, I, I don't, I don't. See, a rolling release sounds super unstable to me, though. Like, like, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, there, but there's other. There, there's lots of ways to do. It, but the whole idea, like that, you want to in six months or a year or three, you're gonna upgrade. That's like that's like taking my most prized workhorse, and then once every six months to two years, like it 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 could just be it could be completely completely decimated, and then I have nothing, and it feels like that is such a a, a risk. Like I, I over over the weekend. All right. So LTS. Why? What makes you think I'm not just gonna stick with the LTS for five years? Or for the lifetime of the machine, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess if you, yeah. yeah, but that would never work for me, because eventually there's your core birds, your Chromes, your your things that just like all of a sudden you're not able to install anymore. You're like, oh, yeah. If I was on a Mac, I wouldn't have this problem. And so then, really, you want to avoid that temptation. Anyways, you'll see what I'm talking about. But we'll see. I mean, my my, uh, my biggest concern is really how weird 16.04 is with graphics drivers. I've already been bitten by it once. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I think I think you'll be okay, because you got bit by an Intel graphics problem. Yeah, I, I'm not... My expectations aren't... See, I'm getting some crap in Slack right now. You bought a PC, not a Mac? Yes. The Mac... They haven't been updated in three years. You can't. You can't. You just... Right? You I can't. mean, it's been three years. Go Come look on. at the Mac Rumors Buyer's Guide, and then... Then justify buying a Mac Pro. Oh, and then the Mac, Mac would have been two thousand dollars. Let's you know. Well, there's oh, yeah, there's that. But if you if you legitimately only buy the computer once every four or five years, if that's true, which is not true for me, then the the value proposition is a little better. If you buy a computer every year or so, the value is not there, um, and that's definitely the camp I fall into. But like, if you just so you know, you I, I know you're probably familiar with the uh, with the buyer's guide on Mac rumors. Oh, I am. It's sad. And if you look at the uh, at the, uh, you would be getting a MacBook Pro, right? Yeah. So I would have gone for a higher end MacBook Pro. Yeah. yeah so the MacBook Pro has not been updated for one thousand four hundred and seventy seven days. Think about all of the hardware changes and developments yeah. that have come out in one thousand four hundred and seventy seven days. The average replacement cycle is two hundred and sixty one days, so just under a year. But this one is one thousand four hundred and seventy seven days. The last update was in June of 2012. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I did consider as an alternative and didn't do it uh, was buying an iMac. 
I, I, and the thing that got me there was cost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like pure, these things are expensive. Cost. The iMac, being one of their most recently updated models, was updated two hundred and fifty-eight yeah. days ago. Well, there's that too. <laughs> I mean, it's you know I don't love the annual release cycle from Apple because if you happen to need to replace your system at the wrong time, yeah. Yeah, and there's it, it seems like it seems like there's there's room for improvement in the in a year in the Intel cycle because they have the TikTok and anyways, um, it does help with the value of the machines long term though. So there's that. My point being, I think you actually made a good purchase price wise. Um, I just wish, I think I actually think the problem that I the problems that I have are actually really kind of getting resolved. I don't know if you followed like the Snap Package stuff, but uh, that, I, I've been looking at it. That's Canonical's yeah. horse, and there's. You know, for example, once you get Ubuntu 16.04 installed, if you want a desktop Telegram, there is now just a snap package where you can just go download and install it, and you're good to go. Well, I have this dream, too, of, like, our build process not being on my laptop. Hmm. And, you know, using, like, Ionic's uh, packaging and platform service or some other cloud build infrastructure just so it's, you know, right now my laptop is the build machine. Which is not good for a whole variety of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. So I'm hoping that the difference in my local dev machine, one, anything backend or webby we do is on Ubuntu, right? And it's like, second, you know, really, I'm trying to get away from the native Swift Objective C stuff. Really, really, really trying to focus down on Ionic and some Android. All of that stuff does easily support remote building, right? And in fact, the biggest hiccup in the tool chain is going to be code signing for iOS. Um, Ionic does have a tool that does it, but it's very sort of not intuitive. Hmm. The reason it's not intuitive is you still have to generate the keys on your machine and upload them, right? It, hmm. It's not a, a it's not a point the build at this and then we build it for you. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Well, I'd be actually really curious when I get back to hear how that went. I, I likely will have returned it and bought a Mac. <laughs> A gold MacBook one. You might all. You could also play with Snapcraft if you want to see what it's like to build Snap packages, so you can get an idea of where that's going on the Linux desktop. Yeah, you know, I mean, I you know, I'm the guy banging the native applications are dead drum. So yeah, 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 that's true. Uh, yeah, just wrap it all up as an Electron app. Good to go. Good to go. I'm getting a lot of Electron apps on the Linux desktop these days, and I'm not. You know, for me, here's. I actually realized I have a line. I, I prefer a just a nice, simple, clean, quick desktop app. But if it's functionality that if I didn't have a desktop app for, I would do in the tab of my web browser, then I'm okay using an Electron app. That's my line. And it works really well for me. I think it's reasonable because I get a lot of, a lot of gripe from the Linux Action Show audience about using Electron apps when I recommend them. So I've come with a new balance where if it's something I would have done in my web browser and now I have a standalone application to manage that or do that for me, that's a good balance right there. Well, I mean, Slack having the thing in your notification tray is great, right? Yeah, Stuff yeah. like that, and that's just an Electron app. But I, yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of disagree with you. I think most things are appropriate as Electron apps, and very few things are really, really need to be native. With all of the uh, trade-offs, that, you know, size and speed, I mean, they really are clunkers. They're clunkers, but they're cheaper to develop and easier for people to sign off on. Yeah, and it makes, you know, the other thing is a Linux user that I love is it it, 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 uh, it often means that there's a Linux-compatible version, right, which right. is really delightful for me. Interesting, Mr. Dominic. Well, I hope you and Mr. Noah have a great episode next week. I uh, 
I may get to tune in while I'm driving down the road. You never know. Tune in. Yeah, yeah. Depending on connectivity. So uh, follow my adventures at Chris LAS. Mr. Dominic, where would you like to send people throughout the week? Uh, go to DominicM.com and Buccaneer.io. Powerful. Also, go to Radio.Reddit.com to uh, submit topics. If there's something you think we should have talked about, that's a place to submit it. You can also leave feedback there. Email, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click the contact link. If you want to give a shout out to Mr. Noah before he gets here, he's at Colonel Linux on the Twitter. And don't forget to check out jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar just in case the time changes or something. And you can watch it live at jblive.tv. All right. I won't see you here, but they will see you right back here next week. Mm-hmm.